also love to tell you this kind of thing, the Student Athletes of the Month. Each month, and I get the email right away as they're congratulated, a male and a female student athlete are named. Just to flash it back to September, Donovan Jennings, of course, of football, and Michaela Washington of volleyball. October, it was Enrique Galina, who has since moved on from men's soccer. He will be playing his extra season at another major Division One program, I have knowledge of where it is, but it's not been officially announced yet, so we'll keep that under our hats for now. Jasmine Knowles from Track and Field Cross Country was the female October Student Athlete of the Month in November. Our man Antonio Greer from football and Sabrina Wagner, who, believe me, (laughs) she has moved on from soccer and I think could do anything she wants to in her career. We'll see if she tries to become a professional. We'll let you know with Sabrina. December, it was Jameer Chaplin from men's basketball and Elena Chenecki. And I got to say, I've been saying it's close enough. I mean, Chinecki is the tricky one. As we all know, Jose still calls her Sneaky. But Elena will tell you herself, and I've kind of been saying Elena, how to exactly say her name. This is Elena Chinecki from USF Women's Basketball. You're listening to Bulls Beat with Derek Sharp. That's right, you are. Thank you, Elena Chinecki, who we'll talk more about on our next segment. And then just now announced yesterday, the January honorees for Student Athletes of the Month, Dylan Vega from Baseball and Lily Thiessen from Sailing. Let me tell you, Dylan must be making a big splash in the classroom because this is his first year at USF. Last year he pitched for the State College of Florida. 18 strikeouts in 17 and a third innings out of the bullpen. 12 appearances. He is out of Pembroke Pines Charter High School. And Lily Thiessen is in her second year with the program of Hall of Fame sailor Allison Jolly, Olympian sailor. She is originally from Seattle, started off her college career at St. John's River State College. It is something looking at the sailing roster, and we'll try and talk to Coach Jolly here with that sport getting going. They actually have a member of their team whose last name is Skipper, which is one of the positions in sailing. Now, I admit I've got to get more involved in sailing and learning the terminology, With that in mind, we've got, of course, women's lacrosse starting off in a few years. There's probably going to be a head coach named here soon. And remember our last Bull Speed Ahead podcast with Michael Kelly, at least the one that I did with him. His most recent one was with Barry Clements, the associate AD in charge of all the capital projects. And there are a bunch of them, a bunch of improvements being done. You can still check out that show on our SoundCloud page. Incidentally, just go to soundcloud.com and type USF and you'll see Bull Speed Ahead. But he was hinting that there's going to be another sport get announced in the future for USF. And it's coming up, folks. It's coming up. Could be in early February. So we'll have much more on that here for you on the show. So those are your student athletes of the month. And speaking of baseball, another interview coming your way in our second block. Devin Hemingway, who came on and made probably one of the more instrumental pitching performances of the season, of that postseason run that we don't talk about very often. We'll talk to him about it. In fact, it's one of the games that we don't replay because it was the shutout loss to South Alabama, but you'll hear more about that here shortly. Now, we said two members of the soccer team are moving on to professional careers. We knew that the Bulls were going to lose a ton of talent, and already four have been announced as having a professional contract now. Got to say it, we interviewed her. We were at the draft. Sidney Nacello is not going to play for the Portland Thorns. That's a whole other story we'll get to on another program. But for this program, we'll remind you that Megan Cavanaugh, who came here from Albany, ended up playing an extra season, two years for the Bulls, went to a squad in Puerto Rico. And then this week, two more standouts signing over in Europe. Cheyenne Dennis, who played five years in the starting lineup basically the entire time, 
86 game appearances, which is second in program history as, of course, an anchor on that defensive side. And she will be playing defense for Afterelding. Got to make sure I'm saying that right. Don't know. We'll get confirmation from my friend Andrea Hochstadter, former Bull, who, of course, is from Iceland. She is definitely my go-to, but I haven't had a chance to get a hold of her yet. Either way, Cheyenne Dennis will be playing in the country of Iceland. Afterelding is located in the town of, oh, I'm just not going to get this pronounced right, Masfelsbar, which is just north of the capital of Reykjavik. There you go. This club has been around since 1909. The women's team just got promoted right back into the top division. Professional uh, soccer in Iceland, not as big. Usually when you have these European leagues, the top divisions have upwards of 20 teams, just the 10 professional squads in the top division of Iceland. But the squad that Cheyenne Dennis will be playing for after Elding, what an experience that's going to be, was just promoted back to the top division. Now, they don't play a match for another few months, which is probably a good thing because of the fact that it's so cold in Iceland these days, and that'll give Cheyenne Dennis a lot of time to get acclimated to her new surroundings. And wow, we'll try and interview her here via the phone or Zoom or something like that, because I want to talk to her about her decision. And looking at the roster for that squad, it is mostly folks whose last names end in D-O-T-T-I-R. It's a lot of women from Iceland, just a couple from the United States. So good luck to Cheyenne. Paula Leblick will be headed to... Italy, where she will play for Pink Barre FC. They play in the second division in Italy after getting dropped down, but that'll be a great experience for Paula. They are actually in the middle of their season. I guess it's not as cold in Italy, but this is what's called the break where professional squads in Europe actually decide to sign new players. And here comes Paula Leblick, who came to the Bulls, mentioned Megan Cavanaugh playing three years at her first school and then two years with USF. What a find she was out of Oregon State where she played defense, only scored a couple of goals, and then she splashed onto the scene in her first year with the Bulls, becoming their second leading scorer. She played 29 games in all, of course, in the calendar year of 2021. She is an outstanding individual, a very genuine young lady, and a very talented left-footed and again, she technically was a defender, but essentially played a left wing for the Bulls, minding that midfield. And always, whenever she was hurt this year, she missed a few games, and her presence was really felt. Her absence, I guess, was really felt on that left-hand side where she was generally the creator for the team. And just like Cheyenne playing on a team filled with women from Iceland, you look at the roster for this Pink Bari side, and it is mostly Italian, so she will be getting acclimated as well. Wish them the best, and I'm, again, going to try and interview both for the program. Now on to the basketball, and also reminding you that at the end of the hour, as we do on Wednesday and Friday, we'll get you some conference news with Around the American, but familiar opponent for the Bulls. Kind of a strange schedule for USF this year in the fact that not even halfway through it, the Bulls are playing two teams for a second time. The Bulls are just one in four in conference play. The schedule is calling for 18 teams, so obviously not at the midway point. Of course, they've had a couple of games get postponed, namely against East Carolina and more recently against Temple. This latest run through the schedule has seen the Bulls have to go on pause for just one opponent, so that's good. It was supposed to be Saturday against Temple. The Bulls, as a result, haven't played since last Tuesday. They're at home against the Mustangs, 7 o'clock. It is Coaches versus Cancer Night. I happen to know that we'll have a special guest, a doctor from the 
Moffitt Cancer Center on with Jim Lighthall at halftime. You want to check that out. The pregame show with Jim and Joy Johnston begins at 6.30. These teams played exactly two weeks ago in the Moody Coliseum in Dallas. And if the Bulls can replicate the start and just keep doing that, they'll be in good shape. Jameer Chaplin, hesitation, gets to the top, drives it into the paint, stops on a dime, puts it up over Kendrick Davis, and rolls it in. Jameer Chaplin, fresh off a career-high 17 at Tulane, and that was fresh off a career-high 16 against Houston. Here's Murphy at the top, feet on the logo, driving right. He elevates, fires from 17 on the move. Good, and that's where Caleb Murphy makes his living right there. Off the bounce from about 17 feet away, and he will get that shot today against Davis. They've got the lead 4-2. Murphy behind the back, gets a screen. Now he leaves it for Chiwa, rolling to the basket. Caught, layup is good. Murphy sets him up, and Chiwa lays it in. One dribble, fires it inside, and the shot is blocked. Down low by Jameer Chaplin. Off the window it goes. Agunane had the shot blocked, and Chap at 6'5 gets his second. 15.35 to go. Here's Caleb Murphy with another jump shot from 15 at the elbow. It's a 9-0 run by USF. I don't know what's better right now, the offense at one end or the defense at the other. And here come the Bulls after yet another stop. Murphy, left side pass to Javon Green. Now McCreary, baseline jumper, good. High arcing jumper by Jayla McCreary, and he picks right up where he left off Saturday in the Big Easy. It's an 11-0 run by the Bulls. Of course, that was going to be hard to sustain against a team like SMU, led by one of the most sensational players in the country, Kendrick Davis, folks. I know we're not supposed to sell games based on who the other team is, in fact, my job is not to sell tickets, but I will tell you reasons to go to the games, and boy, he is definitely one of them. The Bulls, as you heard, were ahead 11-2, to and, and really it stayed close throughout. SMU eventually did make a run, and it was still a two-point game at the half. 35-33 Bulls were shooting the ball well. Jameer Chaplin, who you heard, Russell Chiwa, both had nine points. Caleb Murphy had eight, doing well enough. But in the second half, as it stayed close for a while, in fact, it was a one-point game still with about 16 minutes left. It was a two-point game, 48-46 after a three by Jameer Chaplin with 13 and a half minutes left. Two-point game, less than 10 minutes later, it was 75-54 to as SMU simply put on a second-half blitz. Final score ended up being 77-65, which truly was about representative, even though it could have been a much bigger margin at the end of the Bulls. Got some points there at the end. Remember, Sorrell Smith scored nine points basically in the last two minutes of that game, but it wasn't enough. Three-point shooting in the second half was the difference. Zurich Phelps was three for five on threes in that game. Zurich Phelps is a freshman from Midland, Texas. Three for five on threes in that game. Two for 17 on threes in the other games they played. So really, it's more concerning to watch Kendrick Davis, who is one of the top scorers in the country, 21 a night. Hits 49 threes, 40% from threes. Also is their point guard, 85 assists. The Weathers brothers, who we told you last time two weeks ago about their incredible story, how they ended up getting to SMU together. Marcus is the bigger guy, and he is their second leading scorer. Ten and a half points and seven boards. So a talented team, but one, if you can slow down Davis. And frankly, he didn't exactly light up the Bulls. Well, I probably shouldn't have said that, but he was just 5 for 14 and scored 17 points against them, so they did a decent job against him. Jameer Chaplin had a nice game that night with 17 points. No doubt the Bulls can hang with SMU, of course, the Bulls. The most interesting thing, we'll be listening to the injury update to see how full strength the Bulls are anytime you come off a game that you could not play due to COVID-19 protocols. 
you figure maybe one or two or more players will be out. So Jim and Joey will let you know all about that. SMU is the second highest ranked team in the conference in the net rankings, hovering in the upper 50s, so they cannot afford to lose this one. SMU is 14-4 and four overall, 5-1 and one in the conference. That's second place in the actual standings as well. Bulls are 6-11 and 11 overall, 1-4. and four. The women's team from SMU leads the conference, although they, the Mustangs, haven't played their last two would-be games. And the women's basketball Twitter feed has put this out. You need to RSVP if you are a women's basketball alumni because the February the 13th, that's a Sunday game, is going to be celebrating, of course, 50 years of USA women's basketball. If you want to be part of the celebration, make sure to RSVP. In fact, Mercedes Jorge, who is the director of operations, we have her email. Just go right there. It's Jorge spelled J-O-R-G-E 46 at usf.edu. J-O-R-G-E 46 at usf.edu. That's if you played women's basketball for the program. Before we get into tonight's game and what an interesting opponent it is, yes, the first time that the Bulls played SMU, and as I said on Twitter, as I'm watching practice for two hours and you can only take so many photos. I actually got some work done and started to dig into some of the game notes. And these teams have played 14 times. The Bulls are 13-1. and one. Oh, my goodness. The last time the Bulls were there three years ago was, uh, remember when all the players got hurt three years ago? It was one of the rougher offensive performances I can remember. I can guarantee you, even though the Bulls have had some issues with players just not completely being fully healthy in themselves, it's not going to be 46-44 tonight. Then again, SMU's defense has been tremendous, but these teams have played the 14 games. Bulls only lost once. The first meeting, and I had to ask Jose Fernandez last night if he remembered this, was in 2001, and it was in Boston. That's right. The Bulls played in the Boston University Classic. They opened against Boston. Now, this was coming off Jose's first season when, frankly, uh, the performance of USF, and this just shows you how far they've come, would have, you know, warranted a team wanting to schedule them for their opener in a four-team event. The Bulls were 4-24 and in Jose's first season. Then in 2001, they start that thing off in Boston. They win against the Terriers 76-70. Then they actually played SMU and beat them 79-64. And they were 7-0 and to start that season. And I said, Coach, can you remember any of the teams you played in that 7-0 and start? And one of them... By the way, it was the Miami Hurricanes. Another, randomly, was IUPUI. And another was Morris Brown, 124-54. to That was the, as it turned out, of course, I didn't know this until I did the research last year, that Morris Brown played women's basketball. But Coach wanted to make sure I knew. This is something that you might not know. In all of his years here, more than 20 now, he has never played a Division II or a junior college program. He wanted to make sure that distinction was clear. Even though Morris Brown was a, a weaker school, they were an NCAA Division I independent. There you go. Bulls ended up 10-3 uh, non-conference that year, 4-10 and 10 in the Conference USA. It really is something that shows you how the Bulls started off sort of humbly. The next year, by the way, they were 0-12 away from home. And then all of a sudden, once things got going into the postseason realm, it really was the 2004-2005 season, and they got into the WNIT, and of course the NCAA tournament is now the expectation for the team. Well, can't really say that on the SMU side, at least maybe until this year. The last NCAA tournament 
was also the last time they won more than one game in their conference tournament, and that was in 2008. That'd be the Conference USA now. They have been to the WNIT five times since then. Now, this might be a harsh opinion, but I'm going to say it. It's how I feel. It's how I felt at the time last year. SMU was 0-6 and decided to basically end their season due to COVID. Now, if they're 6-0, and did they do the same thing? You know what I'm saying. They had to let go of their coach, Travis Mays, and the person they brought in, Toya Wilson, is used to getting to the NCAA tournament. In fact, she was with the Michigan team that, for the first time in its school history, made it to the Sweet 16 last year as an assistant coach, and every stop she's had as an assistant, basically they go to the NCAA tournament. Before that, she was at Baylor for six years, including the national championship team in 2019 that won it at Temple. Before Baylor, she was at Prairie View A&M, which, in three straight years, won the SWAC and made it to the NCAA tournament. When she was a player at Manhattan, you guessed it, she was their defensive player of the year, and she led them to the NCAA tournament. Toyell Wilson saw the roster they had and decided it needed some additions. And man, did they add some key ones. The best? Savannah Wilkinson, no-brainer. The transfer from Florida State and Betty Menunga of the Bulls are the only two players in the American that average a double-double. And when you look at Savannah Wilkinson, she's six foot. She doesn't present herself as this big center that's going to grab every board in sight. However, she does it. In fact, she has nearly 100 more rebounds than the person behind her on the team. In that category, Wilkinson averages 10.6 a game, also scores 15.5. Not going to shoot three-pointers, does her damage inside. They've also added two players from Rice. If you wonder how Rice went from winning the WNIT last year to being in last place, basically, in the Conference USA, well, their two guards are now on SMU. Sydney Wiggins... She is more of the three-point shooter of the two, averaging nearly 11 points a game. That's third on the team. And their point guard, Jasmine Smith, averaging nine points a game but 65 assists. Basically, these two ladies were four-year starters for Rice. They were their top two assisters. They also, right up there in scoring, you add in what they're doing to Kayla White, who's a fifth-year player who recently went for 34 points. She's on a tear, averaging more than 14 points a game. Now, they have not played since the 15th, but that was a thrilling overtime win against Tulane. Their first two conference games were both very convincing. The game that really turned their season around was when their first conference meeting was postponed due to COVID on the other side. They added a game at TCU, and they went there and destroyed them 79-53. to We can say this about pretty much every team that plays the Bulls. Their non-conference schedule isn't like USF's. But it's comparable. Now, they lost an early season game to Oklahoma State, which, frankly, is one of the weaker teams in the Big 12. They lost by 17. However, they gave Arkansas, which is an NCAA tournament team, a much closer battle, losing by 7. They played Oklahoma and got blitzed in the first quarter, 29-8. to But, again, they're used to playing tougher teams. They ended up pulling to within 12 in that game. Interesting that they played Delaware 61-55, to and you're going, Delaware, really? Well, Delaware has one of the top scorers in the country, Jasmine Dickey. They held her to 3-for-12 shooting and 7 points. She's actually the third leading scorer in the country. She was second until Aoka Lee of Kansas State went for 61 points the other day. And, of course, Caitlin Clark of Iowa is the leader. So SMU does 
pride itself on man-to-man defense and being able to hound you. I mentioned their scores. They also have some players that specialize in coming off the bench and playing defense. Now they lost maybe their best defensive guard, Amber Bacon, to a knee injury just four games into the year. But obviously they have managed pretty well without her. We'll be on the air at 7.45 Tampa time, 6.45 here in Dallas. And we'll be on Bulls Unlimited too with the men's game on Bulls Unlimited tonight. Practice said to give you some observations. I'll tell you, it can't give you any of the, of course, plan of attack. But Elisa Pinzon is starting to look more like her normal self. She started to get it back in the last game after her first four in conference play. Well, she didn't play in one of them and only averaged two points in the other. So... I continue to see her turning things around, and Sydney Harvey was looking good on three-point shots. The Bulls should have a pretty full squad tonight, and we'll let you know right away how full SMU squad is. Extenuating circumstances, we'll talk about that, and have our interview with Devin Hemingway of baseball when we return on Bulls Beat. <laughs> 